CD5 Oh dear, said Quartz. The trolls halted. The night closed in like velvet. An owl hooted eerily. At least Rincewind assumed it was an owl. He was a little hazy on ornithology. Perhaps a nightingale hooted, unless it was a thrush. A bat flittered overhead. He was quite confident about that. He was also very tired and quite bruised. Why, oh dear, he said. He peered into the gloom. There was a distant speck in the hills that might have been a fire. Oh, he said. You don't like fires, do you? Quartz nodded. It destroys the superconductivity of our brains, he said. But a fire that small wouldn't have much effect on old Grandad. Rincewind looked around cautiously, listening for the sound of a rogue troll. He'd seen what normal trolls could do to a forest. They weren't naturally destructive, they just treated organic matter as a sort of inconvenient fog. Let's hope he doesn't find it then, he said fervently. Quartz sighed. Not much chance of that, he said. They've lit it in his mouth. It's a judgment on me, moaned Cohen. He tugged ineffectually at his bonds. Two-flower peered at him muzzily. Gansia's slingshot had raised quite a lump on the back of his head, and he was a little uncertain about things, starting with his name and working upwards. I should have been listening out said Cohen. I should have been paying attention and not being swayed by all this talk about your washer names, your ding-chewers. I must be getting soft. He levered himself up by his elbows. Herena and the rest of the gang were standing around the fire in the cave mouth. The luggage was still and silent under its net in a corner. There's something funny about this cave, said Bethan. What? said Cohen. Well, look at it. Have you ever seen rocks like those before? Cohen had to agree that the semicircle of stones around the cave entrance were unusual. Each one was higher than a man, and heavily worn, and surprisingly shiny. There was a matching semicircle on the ceiling. The whole effect was that of a stone computer, built by a druid, with a vague idea of geometry and no sense of gravity. Look at the walls, too. Cohen squinted at the wall next to him. There were veins of red crystal in it. He couldn't be quite certain, but it was almost as if little points of light kept flashing on and off deep within the rock itself. It was also extremely draughty. A steady breeze blew out of the black depths of the cave. I'm sure it was blowing the other way when we came in, whispered Bethan. What do you think, Two Flower? Well, I'm not a cave expert, he said, but I was just thinking that's a very interesting stalag thingy hanging from the ceiling up there. Sort of bulbous, isn't it? They looked at it. I can't quite put my finger on why, said Two Flower, but I think it might be rather a good idea to get out of here. Oh, yes, said Cohen sarcastically. I suppose we'd just better ask these people to untie us and let us go, eh? Cohen hadn't spent much time in Two Flowers' company, otherwise he would not have been surprised when the little man nodded brightly and said, in the loud, slow and careful voice he employed as an alternative to actually speaking other people's languages, "'Excuse me, could you please untie us and let us go? It's rather damp and draughty in here. Sorry!' Bethan looked sidelong at Cohen. "'Was he supposed to say that?' 
It's novel, I grant you. And indeed, three people detached themselves from the group around the fire and came towards them. They didn't look as if they intended to untie anyone. The two men, in fact, looked the sort of people who, when they see other people tied up, start playing around with knives and making greasy suggestions and leering a lot. Herena introduced herself by drawing her sword and pointing it at Two Flower's heart. "'Which one of you is Rincewind the wizard?' she said. "'There were four horses. Is he here?' "'Um, I don't know where he is,' said Two Flower. "'He was looking for some onions.' "'Then you are his friends, and he will come looking for you,' said Herena. She glanced at Cohen and Bethan, then looked closely at the luggage.' Trumon had been emphatic that they shouldn't touch the luggage. Curiosity may have killed the cat, but Herena's curiosity could have massacred a pride of lions. She slit the netting and grasped the lid of the box. Two Flower winced. Locked, she said eventually. Where is the key, fat one? It, uh, it hasn't got a key, said Two Flower. There is a keyhole, she pointed out. Well, yes, but if it wants to stay locked, it stays locked said Two Flower uncomfortably. Herena was aware of Gansia's grin. She snarled. I want it open, she said. Gansia, see to it. She strode back to the fire. Gansia drew a long, thin knife and leaned down close to Two Flower's face. She wants it open, he said. He looked up at the other man and grinned. She wants it open, Weems. Yeah. Gansia waved the knife slowly in front of Two Flower's face. Look, said Two Flower patiently, I don't think you understand. No one can open the luggage if it's feeling in a locked mood. Oh, yes, I forgot, said Gansia thoughtfully. Of course, it's a magic box, isn't that right? With little legs, they say. I say, Weems, any legs your side? No. He held his knife to Two Flower's throat. "'I'm really upset about that,' he said. "'So's Weems. "'He doesn't say much, but what he does is "'he tears bits off people. "'So open the box.' "'He turned and planted a kick on the side of the box, "'leaving a nasty gash in the wood. "'There was a tiny little click. "'Gansia grinned. "'The lid swung up slowly, ponderously. "'The distant firelight gleamed off gold.' Lots of gold, in plate, chain, and coin, heavy and glistening in the flickering shadows. All right, said Gansia softly. He looked back at the unheeding men around the fire, who seemed to be shouting at someone outside the cave. Then he looked speculatively at Weems. His lips moved soundlessly with the unaccustomed effort of mental arithmetic. He looked down at his knife. Then the floor moved I heard someone, said one of the men, down there, among the rocks. Rincewind's voice floated up out of the darkness. I say, he said. Well, said Herena. You're in great danger, shouted Rincewind. You must put the fire out. No, no, said Herena. You've got it wrong. You are in great danger, and the fire stays. There's this big old troll. Everyone knows trolls keep away from fire, said Herena. She nodded. A couple of men drew their swords and slipped out into the darkness. 
Absolutely true, shouted Rincewind desperately. Only this specific troll can't, you see. Can't? Herena hesitated. Something of the terror in Rincewind's voice hit her. Yes, because you see, you've lit it on his tongue. Then the floor moved. Old Grandad awoke very slowly from his centuries-old slumber. He nearly didn't awake at all. In fact, a few decades later, none of this could have happened. When a troll gets old and starts to think seriously about the universe, it normally finds a quiet spot and gets down to some hard philosophizing, and after a while starts to forget about its extremities. It begins to crystallize around the edges until nothing remains except a tiny flicker of life inside quite a large hill with some unusual rock strata. Old Grandad hadn't got quite that far. He awoke from considering quite a promising line of inquiry about the meaning of truth and found a hot, ashy taste in what, after a certain amount of thought, he remembered as being his mouth. He began to get angry. Commands skittered along neural pathways of impure silicon. Deep within his silicaceous body, stone slipped smoothly along special fracture lines. Trees toppled. Turf split, as fingers the size of ships unfolded and gripped the ground. Two enormous rock slides high on his cliff face marked the opening of eyes like great crusted opals. Rincewind couldn't see all this, of course, since his own eyes were daylight issue only, but he did see the whole dark landscape shake itself slowly and then begin to rise impossibly against the stars. The sun rose. However, the sunlight didn't. What did happen was that the famous disc-world sunlight, which as has already been indicated travels very slowly through the disc's powerful magical field, sloshed gently over the lands around the rim and began its soft, silent battle against the retreating armies of the night. It poured like molten gold... Not precisely, of course. Trees didn't burst into flame, people didn't suddenly become very rich and extremely dead, and the seas didn't flash into steam. A better simile, in fact, would be not like molten gold across the sleeping landscape, bright, clean, and above all, slow. Herena didn't hesitate. With great presence of mind, she ran to the edge of old Grandad's bottom lip and jumped, rolling as she hit the earth. The men followed her, cursing as they landed among the debris. Like a fat man trying to do press-ups, the old troll pushed himself upwards. This wasn't apparent from where the prisoners were lying. All they knew was that the floor kept rolling under them and that there was a lot of noise going on, most of it unpleasant. Weems grabbed Gansia's arm. It's a earthquake, he said. Let's get out of here. Not without the gold, said Gansia. What? The gold, the gold. Man, we could be as rich as creosote. Weems might have had a room temperature IQ, but he knew idiocy when he saw it. Gansia's eyes gleamed more than gold, and he appeared to be staring at Weems's left ear. Weems looked desperately at the luggage. It was still open, invitingly, which was odd. You'd have thought all the shaking would have slammed the lid shut. We'd never carry it, he suggested. It's too heavy, he added. Well, damn well carry some of it, shouted Gansia, and leapt towards the chest as the floor shook again. The lid snapped shut. Gansia vanished.
And just in case Weems thought it was accidental, the luggage's lid snapped open again, just for a second, and a large tongue as red as mahogany licked across the broad teeth as white as sycamore. Then it slammed shut again. To Weems's further horror, hundreds of little legs extruded from the underside of the box. It rose very deliberately, and carefully arranging its feet, shuffled around to face him. There was a particularly malevolent look about its keyhole. The sort of look that says, Go on, make my day. He backed away and looked imploringly at Two Flower. I think it might be a good idea if you untied us, suggested Two Flower. It's really quite friendly once it gets to know you. Licking his lips nervously, Weems drew his knife. The luggage gave a warning creak. He slashed through their bonds and stood back quickly. Thank you, said Two Flower. I think my back's gone again, complained Cohen as Bethan helped him to his feet. What do we do with this man? said Bethan. We take his knife and tell him to bugger off, said Cohen. Right? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir, said Weems and bolted towards the cave mouth. For a moment he was outlined against the grey pre-dawn sky and then he vanished. There was a distant cry of, Ah! The sunlight roared silently across the land like surf. Here and there, where the magic field was slightly weaker, tongues of morning raced ahead of the day, leaving isolated islands of night that contracted and vanished as the bright ocean flowed onwards. The uplands around the vortex plains stood out ahead of the advancing tide like a great grey ship. It is possible to stab a troll, but the technique takes practice, and no one ever gets a chance to practice more than once. Herena's men saw the trolls loom out of the darkness like very solid ghosts. Blades shattered as they hit silica skins. There were one or two brief flat screams, and then nothing more but shouts far away in the forest, as they put as much distance as they could between themselves and the avenging earth. Rincewind crept out from behind a tree and looked around. He was alone, but the bushes behind him rustled as the trolls lumbered up after the gang. He looked up. High above him, two great crystalline eyes focused in hatred of everything soft and squelchy, and above all warm. Rincewind cowered in horror as a hand the size of a house rose, curled into a fist, and dropped towards him. Day came with a silent explosion of light. For a moment the huge, terrifying bulk of old Grandad was a breakwater of shadow as the daylight streamed past. There was a brief, grinding noise. There was silence. Several minutes passed. Nothing happened. A few birds started singing. A bumblebee buzzed over the boulder that was old Grandad's fist and alighted on a patch of thyme that had grown under a stone fingernail. There was a scuffling down below. Rincewind slid awkwardly out of the narrow gap between the fist and the ground like a snake leaving a burrow. He lay on his back, staring up at the sky past the frozen shape of the troll. It hadn't changed in any way, apart from the stillness, but already the eye started to play tricks. Last night, Rincewind had looked at cracks in stone and seen them become mouths and eyes. Now he looked at the great cliff face and saw the features become, like magic, mere blemishes in the rock. Wow, he said. That didn't seem to help. He stood up, dusted himself off, and looked around. 
apart from the bumblebee, he was completely alone. After poking around for a bit, he found a rock that from certain angles looked like beryl. He was lost and lonely and a long way from home. He... There was a crunch high above him, and shards of rock spattered into the earth. High up on the face of old Grandad, a hole appeared. There was a brief sight of the luggage's backside as it struggled to regain its footing, and then Two Flower's head poked out of the mouth cave. Anyone down there? I say! Hey! shouted the wizard. Am I glad to see you? I don't know, are you? said Two Flower. Am I what? Gosh, there's a wonderful view from up here! It took them half an hour to get down. Fortunately, old Grandad had been quite craggy with plenty of handholds, but his nose would have presented a tricky obstacle if it hadn't been for the luxuriant oak tree that flourished in one nostril. The luggage didn't bother to climb. It just jumped and bounced its way down with no apparent harm. Cohen sat in the shade, trying to catch his breath and waiting for his sanity to catch up with him. He eyed the luggage thoughtfully. "'The horses have all gone,' said Two Flower. "'We'll find them,' said Cohen. His eyes bored into the luggage, which began to look embarrassed. "'They were carrying all our food,' said Rincewind. "'Plenty of food in the forests.' "'I have some nourishing biscuits in the luggage,' said Two Flower. "'Travellers' digestives. Always a comfort in a tight spot.' "'I've tried them,' said Rincewind. "'They've got a mean edge on them.' And Cohen stood up, wincing. "'Excuse me.' he said flatly. There's something I've got to know. He walked over to the luggage and gripped its lid. The box backed away hurriedly, but Cohen stuck out a skinny foot and tripped up half its legs. As it twisted to snap at him, he gritted his teeth and heaved, jerking the luggage onto its curved lid, where it rocked angrily like a maddened tortoise. Hey, that's my luggage, said Two Flower. Why is he attacking my luggage? I think I know, said Bethan quietly. I think it's because he's scared of it. Two Flower turned to Rincewind, open-mouthed. Rincewind shrugged. Search me, he said. I run away from things I'm scared of myself. With a snap of its lid, the luggage jerked into the air and came down running, catching Cohen a crack on the shins with one of its brass corners. As it wheeled around, he got a grip on it just long enough to send it galloping full tilt into a rock. Not bad, said Rincewind, admiringly. The luggage staggered back, paused for a moment, then came at Cohen, waving its lid menacingly. He jumped and landed on it, with both his hands and feet caught in the gap between the box and the lid. This severely puzzled the luggage. It was even more astonished when Cohen took a deep breath and heaved, muscles standing out on his skinny arms like a sock full of coconuts. They stood locked there for some time, tendon versus hinge. Occasionally one or other would creak. Bethan elbowed Two Flower in the ribs. Do something, she said. Um, said Two Flower. Yes, um, that's about enough, I think. Uh, put him down, please. The luggage gave a creak of betrayal at the sound of its master's voice. Its lid flew up with such force that Cohen tumbled backwards, but he scrambled to his feet and flung himself towards the box. Its contents lay open to the skies. Cohen reached inside. The luggage creaked a bit, but it obviously weighed up the chances of being sent to the top of the great wardrobe in the sky. When Rincewind dared to peek through his fingers, Cohen was peering into the luggage and cursing under his breath. Laundry? he shouted. Is that it? Just laundry? 
He was shaking with rage. I think there's some biscuits, too, said Two Flower in a small voice. But there was gold, and I saw it eat somebody. Cohen looked imploringly at Rincewind. The wizard sighed. Don't ask me, he said. I don't own the bloody thing. I bought it in a shop, said Two Flower defensively. I said I wanted a travelling trunk. Well, that's what you got, all right, said Rincewind. It's very loyal, said Two Flower. Oh, yes, agreed Rincewind, if loyalty is what you look for in a suitcase. Hold on, said Cohen, who had sagged onto a rock. Was it one of those shops? I mean, I bet you hadn't noticed it before, and when you go back again it wasn't there. Two Flower brightened. That's right. Shopkeeper a little wizened old guy, shop full of strange stuff. Exactly. Never could find it again. I thought I must have got the wrong street. Nothing but a brick wall where I thought it was. I remember thinking all the time it was rather... Cohen shrugged. One of those shops, he said. No one knows why, but all the most truly mysterious and magical items are bought from shops that appear, and after a trading life even briefer than a double-glazing company, vanish like smoke. There had been various attempts to explain this, all of which don't fully account for the observed facts. These shops turn up anywhere in the universe, and their immediate non-existence in any particular city can normally be deduced from crowds of people wandering the streets clutching defunct magical items, ornate guarantee cards, and looking very suspiciously at brick walls. That explains it, then. He felt his back and grimaced. Bloody horse ran off with me liniment. Rincewind remembered something and fumbled in the depths of his torn and now very grubby robe. He held up a green bottle. That's the stuff, said Cohen. You're a marvel. He looked sideways at Two Flower. I would have beaten it, he said quietly. Even if you hadn't called it off, I would have beaten it in the end. That's right, said Bethan. You two can make yourself useful, he added. That luggage broke through a troll tooth to get us out. That was diamond. See if you can find the bitch. I've had an idea about them. As Bethan rolled up her sleeves and uncorked the bottle, Rincewind took Two Flower to one side. When they were safely hidden behind a shrub, he said, He's gone balmy. That's Cohen the Barbarian you're talking about, said Two Flower, genuinely shocked. He is the greatest warrior that... Was, said Rincewind urgently. All that stuff with the warrior priests and man-eating zombies was years ago. All he's got now is memories and so many scars you could play noughts and crosses on him. He is rather more elderly than I imagined, yes, said Two Flower. He picked up a fragment of diamond. So we ought to leave them and find our horses and move on, said Rincewind. That's a bit of a mean trick, isn't it? They'll be all right, said Rincewind heartily. The point is, would you feel happy in the company of someone who would attack the luggage with his bare hands? Hmm, that is a point, said Two Flower. They'll probably be better off without us anyway. Are you sure? Positive, said Rincewind. They found the horses wandering aimlessly in the scrub, breakfasted on badly dried horse jerky, and set off in what Rincewind believed was the right direction. A few minutes later, the luggage emerged from the bushes and followed them. The sun rose higher in the sky, but still failed to blot out the light of the star. "'It's got bigger overnight,' said Two Flower. "'Why isn't anybody doing something?' "'Such as what?' Two Flower thought. "'Couldn't somebody tell Great Artuin to avoid it?' he said. "'Sort of go around it.' 
That sort of thing has been tried before, said Rincewind. Wizards tried to tune into Great Utuin's mind. It didn't work? Oh, it worked all right, said Rincewind. Only... Only there had been certain unforeseen risks in reading a mind as great as the world turtles, he explained. The wizards had trained up on tortoises and giant sea turtles first to get the hang of the Chelonian frame of mind, but although they knew that Great Artuin's mind would be big, they hadn't realised that it would be slow. There's a bunch of wizards that have been reading it in shifts for thirty years, said Rincewind. All they've found out is that Great Artuin is looking forward to something. What? Who knows? They rode in silence for a while through a rough country where huge limestone blocks lined the track. Eventually, Two Flowers said, We ought to go back, you know. Look, we'll reach the Smile tomorrow, said Rincewind. Nothing will happen to them out here. I, I don't see why... He was talking to himself. Two Flower had wheeled his horse and was trotting back, demonstrating all the horsemanship of a sack of potatoes. Rincewind looked down. The luggage regarded him owlishly. What are you looking at? said the wizard. He can go back if he wants. Why should I bother? The luggage said nothing. Look, he's not my responsibility, said Rincewind. Let's be absolutely clear about that. The luggage said nothing, but louder this time. Go on, follow him. You're nothing to do with me. The luggage retracted its little legs and settled down on the track. Well, I'm going, said Rincewind. I mean it, he added. He turned the horse's head back towards the new horizon and glanced down. The luggage sat there. It's no good trying to appeal to my better nature. You can stay here all day for all I care. I'm just going to ride off, OK? He glared at the luggage. The luggage looked back. I thought you'd come back, said Two Flower. I don't want to talk about it, said Rincewind. Shall we talk about something else? Yeah. Well, discussing how to get these ropes off would be favourite, said Rincewind. He wrenched at the bonds around his wrists. I can't imagine why you're so important, said Herenna. She sat on a rock opposite them, soared across her knees. Most of the gang lay among the rocks high above, watching the road. Rincewind and Two Flower had been a pathetically easy ambush. Weems told me what your box did to Gensia, she added. I can't say that's a great loss, but I hope it understands that if it comes within a mile of us, I will personally cut both your throats, yes? Rincewind nodded violently. Good, said Herenna. You're wanted dead or alive. I'm not really bothered which, but some of the lads might want to have a little discussion with you about those trolls. If the sun hadn't come up when it did, she left the words hanging and walked away. Well, here's another fine mess, said Rincewind. He had another pull at the ropes that bound him. There was a rock behind him, and if he could bring his wrists up. Yes, as he thought, it lacerated him while at the same time being too blunt to have any effect on the rope. But why us? said Two Flower. It's to do with that star, isn't it? I don't know anything about the star, said Rincewind. I never even attended astrology lessons at the university. I expect everything will turn out all right in the end, said Two Flower. Rincewind looked at him. Remarks like that always threw him. Do you really believe that, he said. I mean, really. Well, things generally do work out satisfactorily when you come to think about it. If you think the total disruption of my life for the last year is satisfactory, then you might be right. I've lost count of the times I've nearly been killed. I... Twenty-seven, said Two Flower. What? 
Twenty-seven times,' said Two-Flower helpfully. "'I worked it out. But you never actually have.' "'What? Worked it out?' said Rincewind, who was beginning to have the familiar feeling that the conversation had been mugged. "'No, been killed. Doesn't that seem a bit, well, suspicious?' "'I've never objected to it, if that's what you mean,' said Rincewind. He glared at his feet. Two-Flower was right, of course. The spell was keeping him alive, it was obvious. No doubt if he jumped over a cliff, a passing cloud would cushion his fall. The trouble with that theory, he decided, was that it only worked if he didn't believe it was true. The moment he thought he was invulnerable, he'd be dead. So on the whole, it was wisest not to think about it at all. Anyway, he might be wrong. The only thing he could be certain of was that he was getting a headache. He hoped that the spell was somewhere in the area of the headache and really suffering. When they rode out of the hollow, both Rincewind and Two-Flower were sharing a horse with one of their captors. Rincewind perched uncomfortably in front of Weems, who had sprained an ankle and was not in a good mood. Two-Flower sat in front of Herena, which, since he was fairly short, meant that at least he kept his ears warm. She rode with a drawn knife and a sharp eye out for any walking boxes. Herena hadn't quite worked out what the luggage was, but she was bright enough to know that it wouldn't let Two-Flower be killed. After about ten minutes, they saw it in the middle of the road. Its lid lay open invitingly. It was full of gold. "'Go round it,' said Herena. "'But it's a trap.' "'That's right,' said Weems, white-faced. "'You take it from me.' Reluctantly, they reined their horses around the glittering temptation and trotted on along the track. Weems glanced back fearfully, dreading to see the chest coming after him. What he saw was almost worse. It had gone. Far off to one side of the path, the long grass moved mysteriously and was still. Rincewind wasn't much of a wizard and even less of a fighter, but he was an expert at cowardice, and he knew fear when he smelt it. He said quietly, "'It'll follow you, you know.' "'What?' said Weems, distractedly. He was still peering at the grass.' It's very patient, and it never gives up. That's sapient pear wood you're dealing with. It'll let you think it's forgotten you, then one day you'll be walking along a dark street and you'll hear those little footsteps behind you. Shlup, 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 they'll go. Then you'll start running and they'll speed up. Shlup, 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 shlup. Shut up, shouted Weems. It's probably already recognised you, so I said shut up. Herena turned round in her saddle and glared at them. Weems scowled and pulled Rincewind's ear until it was right in front of his mouth and said hoarsely, I'm afraid of nothing, understand? The wizard stuff, I spit on it. They all say that until they hear the footsteps, said Rincewind. He stopped. A knife point was pricking his ribs. Nothing happened for the rest of the day, but to Rincewind's satisfaction and Weems' mounting paranoia, the luggage showed itself several times. Here it would be perched incongruously on a crag. There it would be half-hidden in a ditch with moss growing over it. By late afternoon they came to the crest of a hill and looked down on the broad valley of the Upper Smile, the longest river on the disc. It was already half a mile across and heavy with the silt that made the lower valley the most fertile area on the continent. A few wisps of early mist wreathed its banks. "'Shlup,' said Rincewind. "'He felt Weems jerk upright in the saddle. "'Eh? "'Just clearing my throat,' said Rincewind, and grinned. "'He had put a lot of thought into that grin. "'It was the sort of grin people use when they stare at your left ear "'and tell you in an urgent tone of voice "'that they are being spied on by secret agents from the next galaxy. "'It was not a grin to inspire confidence. 
More horrible grins had probably been seen, but only on the sort of grinner that is orange with black stripes, has a long tail, and hangs around in jungles looking for victims to grin at. Wipe that off, said Herenna, trotting up. Where the track led down to the river, there was a crude jetty and a big bronze gong. It'll summon the ferryman, said Herenna. If we cross here, we can cut off a big bend in the river. Might even make it to a town tonight. Weems looked doubtful. The sun was getting fat and red, and the mists were beginning to thicken. Or maybe you want to spend the night this side of the water. Weems picked up the hammer and hit the gong so hard that it spun right round on its hanger and fell off. They waited in silence. Then, with a wet clinking sound, a chain sprang out of the water and pulled taut against an iron peg set into the bank. Eventually, the slow, flat shape of the ferry emerged from the mist. Its hooded ferryman, heaving on a big wheel, set in its centre as he winched his way towards the shore. The ferry's flat bottom grated on the gravel, and the hooded figure leaned against the wheel, panting. Two at a time, it muttered. That's all. Just two with horses. Rincewind swallowed and tried not to look at Two Flower. The man would probably be grinning and mugging like an idiot. He risked a sideways glance. Two Flower was sitting with his mouth open. You are not the usual ferryman, said Herenna. I've been here before. The usual man is a big fellow, sort of... Each his day off. Oh. Well, okay, she said doubtfully. In that case, what's he laughing at? Two Flower's shoulders were shaking, his face had gone red, and he was emitting muffled snorts. Herenna glared at him, then looked hard at the ferryman. Two of you, grab him. There was a pause, then one of the men said, What, the ferryman? Yes. Why? Herenna looked blank. This sort of thing wasn't supposed to happen. It was accepted that when someone yelled something like, Get him! or Guards! people jumped to it. They weren't supposed to sit around discussing things. Because I said so, was the best she could manage. The two men nearest to the bowed figure looked at each other, shrugged, dismounted, and each took a shoulder. The ferryman was about half their size. Like this, said one of them. Two Flower was choking for breath. Now I want to see what he's got under that robe. The two men exchanged glances. I'm not sure that, said one. He got no further because a knobbly elbow jerked into his stomach like a piston. His companion looked down incredulously and got the other elbow in his kidneys. Cohen cursed as he struggled to untangle his sword from his robe while hopping crabwise towards Herenna. Rincewind groaned, gritted his teeth and jerked his head backwards hard. There was a scream from Weems and Rincewind rolled sideways, landed heavily in the mud, scrambled up madly and looked around for somewhere to hide. With a cry of triumph, Cohen managed to free his sword and waved it triumphantly, severely wounding a man who had been creeping up behind him. Herenna pushed Twoflower off her horse and fumbled for her own blade. Twoflower tried to stand up and caused the horse of another man to rear, throwing him off and bringing his head down onto the right level for Rincewind to kick it as hard as possible. Rincewind would be the first to call himself a rat, but even rats fight in a corner. Weems's hand dropped onto his shoulder, and a fist like a medium-sized rock slammed into his head. As he went down, he heard Herenna say, quite quietly, "'Kill them both. I'll deal with this old fool.' "'Right!' said Weems, and turned towards Twoflower with his sword drawn. Rincewind saw him hesitate. There was a moment of silence, and then even Herenna could hear the splashing as the luggage surged ashore, water pouring from it. 
Weems stared at it in horror. His sword fell from his hand. He turned and ran into the mists. A moment later, the luggage bounded over Rincewind and followed him. Herena lunged at Cohen, who parried the thrust and grunted as his arm twinged. The blades clanged wetly, and then Herena was forced to back away as a cunning upward sweep from Cohen nearly disarmed her. Rincewind staggered towards Twoflower and tugged at him ineffectually. "'Time to be going,' he muttered. "'This is great,' said Twoflower. "'Did you see the way he—' "'Yes, yes, come on, but I want to—' "'I, I say, well done!' Herena's sword spun out of her hand and stood quivering in the dirt. With a snort of satisfaction, Cohen brought his own sword back, went momentarily cross-eyed, gave a little yelp of pain, and stood absolutely motionless. Herena looked at him, puzzled. She made an experimental move in the direction of her own sword, and when nothing happened she grasped it, tested its balance, and stared at Cohen. Only his agonised eyes moved to follow her as she circled him cautiously. "'His back's gone again,' whispered Two Flower. "'What can we do?' "'We can see if we could catch the horses.' "'Well,' said Herena, "'I don't know who you are or why you're here, "'and there's nothing personal about this, you understand.' "'She raised her sword in both hands. "'There was a sudden movement in the mists, "'and the dull thud of a heavy piece of wood hitting a head. "'Herena looked bewildered for a moment, "'and then fell forward.' Bethan dropped the branch she had been holding and looked at Cohen. Then she grabbed him by the shoulders, stuck her knee in the small of his back, and gave a businesslike twist and let him go. An expression of bliss passed across his face. He gave an experimental bend. It's gone, he said. The back, gone. Two Flower turned to Rincewind. My father used to recommend hanging from the top of a door, he said conversationally. Weems crept very cautiously through the scrubby, mist-laden trees. The pale, damp air muffled all sounds, but he was certain that there had been nothing to hear for the past ten minutes. He turned round very slowly, and then allowed himself the luxury of a long, heartfelt sigh. He stepped back into the cover of the bushes. Something nudged the back of his knees, very gently. Something angular. He looked down. There seemed to be more feet down there than there ought to be and there was a short, sharp snap. The fire was a tiny dot of light in a dark landscape. The moon wasn't up yet, but the star was a lurking glow on the horizon. It's circular now, said Bethan. It looks like a tiny sun. I'm sure it's getting hotter, too. Don't, said Rincewind, as if I hadn't got enough to worry about. What I don't understand said Cohen, who was having his back massaged, is how they captured you without us hearing it. We wouldn't have known at all if your luggage hadn't kept jumping up and down. And waning, said Bethan. They all looked at her. Well, it looked as if it was waning, she said. I think it's rather sweet, really. Four pairs of eyes turned towards the luggage, which was squatting on the other side of the fire. It got up and very pointedly moved back into the shadows. "'Easy to feed,' said Cohen. "'Hard to lose,' agreed Rincewind. "'Loyal,' suggested Twoflower. "'Roomy,' said Cohen. "'But I wouldn't say sweet,' said Rincewind. "'I suppose you wouldn't want to shell it,' said Cohen. Twoflower shook his head. 
I don't think it would understand, he said. Nah, I suppose not, said Cohen. He sat up and bit his lip. I was looking for a present for Beffen, you see. We're getting married. We thought you ought to be the first to know, said Bethan, and blushed. Rincewind didn't catch two flowers' eye. Well, that's some um, very, uh... Just as soon as we find a town where there's a priest, said Bethan, I want it done properly. Oh, that's very important, said Two Flower seriously. If there were more morals about, we wouldn't be crashing into stars. They considered this for a moment. Then Two Flower said brightly, This calls for a celebration. I've got some biscuits and water if you've still got some of that jerky. Oh, good, said Rincewind weakly. He beckoned Cohen to one side. With his beard trimmed, the old man could easily have passed for seventy on a dark night. This is, um, serious, he said. You really going to marry her? Sure thing. Any objections? Well, no, of course not. But, uh, I mean, she's seventeen, and you're, um, well, you're, how can I put it? You're of the elderly persuasion. Time I settle down, you mean? Rincewind groped for words. You're seventy years older than her, Cohen. Are you sure that... I have been married before, you know. I've got quite a good memory, said Cohen reproachfully. No, what I mean is... Well, I mean, physically, the point is, uh, what about, well, you know, the age difference and everything? I mean, it's a matter of health, isn't it? And, um... Ah, said Cohen slowly, I see what you mean, the strain. I hadn't looked at it like that. No, said Rincewind, straightening up. No, well, that's only to be expected. You've given me something to think about, and no mistake, said Cohen. Well, I hope I haven't upset anything. No, no, said Cohen vaguely. Don't apologise. You were right to point it out. He turned and looked at Bethan, who waved at him, and then he looked up at the star that glared through the mists. Eventually he said, Dangerous times, these. That's a fact. Who knows what tomorrow may bring? Not me. Cohen clapped Rincewind on the shoulder. Sometimes we just have to take risks, he said. Don't be offended, but I think we'll go ahead with the wedding anyway. And, well... He looked at Bethan and sighed. We'll just have to hope she's strong enough. Around noon the following day, they rode into a small mud-walled city surrounded by fields still lush and green. There seemed to be a lot of traffic going the other way, though. Huge carts rumbled past them. Herds of livestock ambled along the crown of the road. Old ladies stomped past, carrying entire households and haystacks on their backs. "'Plague?' said Rincewind, stopping a man pushing a handcart full of children. He shook his head. "'It's the star, friend,' he said. "'Haven't you seen it in the sky?' "'We couldn't help noticing it, yes.' "'They say that it'll hit us on Hogswatch night, "'and the seas will boil and the countries of the disk will be broken, "'and kings will be brought down, and cities will be as lakes of glass,' said the man. "'I'm off to the mountains.' "'That'll help, will it?' said Rincewind, doubtfully. "'No, but the view will be better.' Rincewind rode back to the others. "'Everyone's worried about the star,' he said. "'Apparently there's hardly anyone left in the cities. "'They're all frightened of it.' 
I don't want to worry anyone, said Bethan, but hasn't it struck you as unseasonably hot? That's what I said last night, said Two Flower. Very warm, I thought. I suspect it'll get a lot hotter, said Cohen. Let's get on into the city. They rode through echoing streets that were practically deserted. Cohen kept peering at merchant signs until he reined his horse and said, This is what I've been looking for. You find a chapel and a priest, I'll join you shortly. A jeweller, said Rincewind. It's a surprise. I could do with a new dress, too, said Bethan. I'll steal you one. There was something very oppressive about the city, Rincewind decided. There was also something very odd. Almost every door was painted with a large red star. It's creepy, said Bethan, as if people wanted to bring the star here. Or keep it away, said Two Flower. That won't work, it's too big, said Rincewind. He saw their faces turned towards him. Well, it stands to reason, doesn't it, he said lamely. No, said Bethan. Stars are small lights in the sky, said Two Flower. One fell down near my home once, a big white thing, size of a house, glowed for weeks before it went out. This star is different, said a voice. Great Artuin has climbed the beach of the universe. This is the great ocean of space. How do you know, said Two Flower. Know what, said Rincewind. What you just said about beaches and oceans. I didn't say anything. Yes, you did, you silly man, yelled Bethan. We saw your lips going up and down and everything. Rincewind shut his eyes. Inside his mind he could feel the spell scuttling off to hide behind his conscience and muttering to itself. All right, all right, he said. No need to shout. Oh, I don't know how I know. I just know. Well, I wish you'd tell us. They turned the corner. All the cities around the Circle Sea had a special area set aside for the gods, of which the disc had an elegant sufficiency. Usually they were crowded and not very attractive from an architectural point of view. The most senior gods, of course, had large and splendid temples, but the trouble was that later gods demanded equality, and soon the holy areas were sprawling with lean-tos, annexes, loft conversions, sub-basements, bijou flatlets, ecclesiastical infilling and transtemporal time-sharing, since no god would dream of living outside the holy quarter, or as it had become, three-eighths. There were usually three hundred different types of incense being burned, and the noise was normally at pain threshold because of all the priests vying with each other to call their share of the faithful to prayer. But this street was deathly quiet that particularly unpleasant quiet that comes when hundreds of frightened and angry people are standing very still. A man at the edge of the crowd turned around and scowled at the newcomers. He had a red star painted on his forehead. What's... Rincewind began and stopped as his voice seemed far too loud. What's this? You're strangers, said the man. Actually, we'd know one another quite well... Two Flower began and fell silent. Bethan pointed up the street. Every temple had a star painted on it. There was a particularly big one daubed across the stone eye outside the temple of Blind Eo, leader of the gods. Ugh, said Rincewind. Eo is going to be really pissed when he sees that. I don't think we ought to hang around here, friends. The crowd was facing a crude platform that had been built in the center of the wide street. A big banner had been draped across the front of it. I always heard that blind Eeyore can see everything that happens everywhere, said Bethan quietly. Why hasn't he... Quiet, 
said the man beside them. Dahoney speaks. A figure had stepped up on the platform, a tall, thin man with hair like a dandelion. There was no cheer from the crowd, just a collective sigh. He began to speak. Rincewind listened in mounting horror. Where were the gods, said the man. They had gone. Perhaps they had never been. Who actually could remember seeing them? And now the star had been sent. It went on and on, a quiet, clear voice that used words like cleanse and scouring and purify and drilled into the brain like a hot sword. Where were the wizards? Where was magic? Had it ever really worked, or had it all been a dream? Rincewind began to be really afraid that the gods might get to hear about this and be so angry that they'd take it out on anyone who happened to have been around at the time. But somehow even the wrath of the gods would have been better than the sound of that voice. The star was coming, it seemed to say, and its fearful fire could only be averted by... by... Rincewind couldn't be certain, but he had visions of swords and banners and blank-eyed warriors. The voice didn't believe in gods, which in Rincewind's book was fair enough, but it didn't believe in people either. A tall, hooded stranger on Rincewind's left jostled him. He turned and looked up into a grinning skull under a black hood. Wizards, like cats, can see death. Compared to the sound of that voice, death seemed almost pleasant. He leaned against a wall, his scythe propped up beside him. He nodded at Rincewind. Come to gloat, whispered Rincewind. Death shrugged. I have come to see the future. This is the future? A future. It's horrible, said Rincewind. I'm inclined to agree. I would have thought you'd be all for it. Not like this. The death of the warrior, or the old man, or the little child. This I understand, and I take away the pain and end the suffering. I do not understand this death of the mind. Who are you talking to? said Two Flower. Several members of the congregation had turned round and were looking suspiciously at Rincewind. Nobody, said Rincewind. Can we go away? I've got a headache. Now a group of people at the edge of the crowd were muttering and pointing to them. Rincewind grabbed the other two and hurried them round the corner. Mount up and let's go, he said. I've got a bad feeling that... A hand landed on his shoulder. He turned round. A pair of cloudy grey eyes set in a round bald head on top of a large muscular body were staring hard at his left ear. The man had a star painted on his forehead. You look like a wizard, he said, in a tone of voice that suggested this was very unwise and quite possibly fatal. Who? Me? No, I'm a clerk. Yes, a clerk. That's right, said Rincewind. He gave a little laugh. The man paused, his lips moving soundlessly, as though he was listening to a voice in his head. Several other star people had joined him. Rincewind's left ear began to be widely regarded. I think you're a wizard, said the man. Look, said Rincewind, if I was a wizard, I'd be able to do magic, right? I'd just turn you into something, and I haven't, so I'm not. We killed all our wizards, said one of the men. Some ran away, but we killed quite a lot. They waved their hands and nothing came out. Rincewind stared at him. And we think you're a wizard too, said the man, holding Rincewind in an ever-tightening grip. 
You got the box on legs and you look like a wizard. Rincewind became aware that the three of them and the luggage had somehow become separated from their horses, and that they were now in a contracting circle of grey-faced, solemn people. Bethan had gone pale. Even Two-Flower, whose ability to recognise danger was as good as Rincewind's ability to fly, was looking worried. Rincewind took a deep breath. He raised his hand in the classic pose he'd learned years before, and rasped, "'Stand back, or I'll fill you full of magic!' "'The magic has faded,' said the man. "'The star has taken it away. "'All the false wizards said their funny words, and then nothing happened. "'And they looked at their hands in horror, "'and very few of them, in fact, had the sense to run away.' "'I mean it,' said Rincewind. "'He's going to kill me,' he thought. "'That's it. I can't even bluff any more. "'No good at magic, no good at bluffing. "'I'm just a—' "'The spell stirred in his mind.' He felt it trickle into his brain like iced water and brace itself. A cold tingle coursed down his arm. His arm raised of its own volition, and he felt his own mouth opening and shutting, and his own tongue moving as a voice that wasn't his, a voice that sounded old and dry, said syllables that puffed into the air like steam clouds. Octarine fire flashed from under his fingernails. It wrapped itself around the horrified man until he was lost in a cold, spitting cloud that rose above the street, hung there for a long moment, and then exploded into nothingness. There wasn't even a wisp of greasy smoke. Rinchwind stared at his hand in horror. Twoflower and Bethan each grabbed him by an arm and hustled him through the shocked crowd until they reached the open street. There was a painful moment as they each chose to run down a different alley but they hurried on with Rincewind's feet barely touching the cobbles. Magic, he mumbled excitedly, drunk with power. I did magic. That's right, said Twoflower soothingly. Would you like me to do a spell, said Rincewind. He pointed a finger at a passing dog and said, Wee! It gave him a hurt look. Making your feet run a lot faster would be favourite, said Bethan grimly. Sure, slurred Rincewind. Feet, run faster. "'Hey, look, they're doing it.' "'They've got more sense than you,' said Bethan. "'Which way now?' Twoflower peered at the maze of alleyways around them. There was a lot of shouting going on, some way off. Rincewind lurched out of their grasp and tottered uncertainly down the nearest alley. "'I can do it!' he shouted wildly. "'Just you all watch out!' Um, "'He's in shock,' said Twoflower. "'Why? He's never done a spell before. "'But he's a wizard!' It's all a bit complicated, said Twoflower, running after Rincewind. Anyway, I'm not sure that was actually him. It certainly didn't sound like him. Come along, old fella. Rincewind looked at him with wild, unseeing eyes. I'll turn you into a rosebush, he said. Yes, yes, jolly good. Just come along, said Twoflower soothingly, pulling gently at his arm. There was a pattering of feet from several alleyways, and suddenly a dozen star people were advancing on them. Bethan grabbed Rincewind's limp hand and held it up threateningly. "'That's far enough!' she screamed. "'Right!' shouted Twoflower. "'We've got a wizard, and we're not afraid to use him!' "'I mean it!' screamed Bethan, spinning Rincewind around by his arm like a capstan. "'Right! We're heavily armed!' "'What?' said Twoflower. "'I said, where's the luggage?' hissed Bethan behind Rincewind's back. Twoflower looked around. The luggage was missing.' Rincewind was having the desired effect on the star people, though. As his hand waved vaguely around, they treated it like a rotary scythe and tried to hide behind one another. "'Well, where's it gone?' "'How should I know?' said Twoflower. "'It's your luggage.' 
I often don't know where my luggage is. That's what being a tourist is all about, said Two Flower. Anyway, it often wanders off by itself. It's probably best not to ask why. It began to dawn on the mob that nothing was actually happening, and that Rincewind was in no condition to hurl insults, let alone magical fire. They advanced, watching his hands cautiously. Two Flower and Bethan backed away. Two Flower looked around. Bethan? What? said Bethan, not taking her eyes off the advancing figures. This is a dead end. Are you sure? I think I know a brick wall when I see one, said Two Flower reproachfully. That's about it then, said Bethan. Do you think perhaps if I explain... No. Oh, I don't think these are the sort of people who listen to explanations, Bethan added. Two Flower stared at them. He was, as has been mentioned, usually oblivious to personal danger. Against the whole of human experience, Two Flower believed that if only people would talk to each other, have a few drinks, exchange pictures of their grandchildren, maybe take in a show or something, then everything could be sorted out. He also believed that people were basically good, but sometimes had their bad days. What was coming down the street was having about the same effect on him as a gorilla in a glass factory. There was the faintest of sounds behind him. Not so much a sound, in fact, as a change in the texture of the air. The faces in front of him gaped open, turned, and disappeared rapidly down the alley. Eh? said Bethan, still propping up the now unconscious Rincewind. Two Flower was looking the other way, at a big glass window, full of strange wares, and a beaded doorway, and a large sign above it all, which now said, after its characters had finished writhing into position, Skillet, Wang, Urxlelit, Bunglestiff, Kumlad, and Patel. Established various purveyors. End of CD 5